You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So what does it mean to be a dad? I mean, at its core, what does it mean to be the best dad you can be? I mean, a dad's dad. Found you. Sometimes being a dad means you play hide-and-seek before breakfast. You're so easy to find. Maybe because I'm three times your size. <laughs> you know, there's more to being a dad than grabbing a mini and wearing socks and sandals and telling bad jokes. Don't talk with your mouth full. Hey, I taught you that. Go wake up your brother, would you? You know, being a dad isn't easy. It's like being under a constant job evaluation with managers who are much, much shorter than you. So we should strive to be the best dad we can be, because being a dad is a gift and a privilege. It's not an inconvenience or a burden. Now, lawn care, that's a burden. So let me tell you some things I've learned along the way. Ryan, it's time to get up, buddy. Kids need you to be present. They spell love, T-I-M-E. If you get a chance to jump on the trampoline, go jump on the trampoline. It's not gonna kill you. Probably. Be your kid's biggest encouragement. I love to catch my kids doing something great, and I love to be intentional about letting them know that I noticed. And here's another one. Love when it isn't easy. Excuse me. Excuse me. And even when they're being annoying, I try to be slow to anger. Do I do it perfectly? You bet I do not. Not even close. That's why it's important they're not number one. Right, champ? Mm. He's still asleep. It needs to be obvious that my relationship with God comes first. And through that relationship, I can gain wisdom and strength and perspective. So don't sweat it. We all mess up. I know I've messed up a lot, and that's okay. The key is when you mess up is to ask for forgiveness. Because that's what a real dad does. Oh and the jokes. Got any new ones? Yeah, did you hear the one about the pizza? It's probably too cheesy. Don't forget about the cake. My name is Wayne Barron and I approved that message. (laughs) Literally, I approved that message because there's no day like Father's Day to start off with a cornball video, right? <clears throat> we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but uh, not only to our fathers. We're going to be talking about leaving a lasting legacy. Uh, Pastor Jeremy, I want to convey to you, Shayla said this already, uh, he and Jenny and the family are getting some much-needed, uh, much-deserved vacation time. Uh, he'll be back in the saddle next Sunday, and he just wanted me to convey to you guys, he texted me this morning and said, uh, we are having a great time, but we miss worshiping with our church family. So I just wanted to let you know that. Um, if you would, take your Bibles out this morning, open to Joshua chapter 4 is where we're going to be in verse 19 through 24. And again, we're going to be talking about leaving a lasting legacy. If you would, stand with me uh, just in honor of reading the Word of God. And then we're going to dive into the message here this morning. We're going to be moving fast. So Joshua chapter 4 verse 19 says the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. 
And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for, uh, for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all of the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Father, today we just uh, give you this time. We give you our attention, we give you our minds and our hearts, and today we, we open those to you. I pray over every person that's in this room. Lord, we are all leaving a legacy of some kind. And we want to leave a legacy that lasts. We want to leave a legacy that points the next generation to you. And so, Lord, as we look at your word today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. We pray that your word would be mighty and powerful to, um, to, to open us up and to reach down to the deepest part of us and communicate to us right where we are. We love you, Lord. We thank you today that you loved us first. And we pray all these things to the honor and glory of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Recently, uh, April and I took a vacation. We went down. We really went to Houston to visit my family. Um, where, that's where I'm from. And uh, we took a couple of days in Galveston while we were in Houston just uh, alone. Uh, this is the second trip we've taken in 20, uh, almost 27 years of marriage without our kids. And so we wanted to have a couple of days just with the two of us. So we went down to Galveston and uh, just did some goofy stuff down there and hung out a little bit. We thought we were going to be really kind of, you know, um, uh, techie and cool and, and you know, like uh, much more modern than either of, of us actually are. So we thought we would do something like that. So we signed up to do a Segway tour. You guys know what a Segway is? <laughs> All right. So save the mall cop jokes. I know, I am built like Paul Blart, uh, but anyway, so we did a Segway tour, I think we have a picture, I don't know if that's up on the screen, it is, that's terrible. We were the only people in our group under 70, year old, 70 years old, by the way, and so we were not as techie and cool as we thought we were, but we went around Galveston on these Segways, we did a tour and we, did, uh, we chose the historical tour. And so we went around, we looked at all the old houses, there's old castles, there's old churches, uh, there's old forts, uh, all of these things we were able to go around and kind of tour. And what I realized quickly into this tour, which I had never realized before, even growing up 45 minutes from Galveston, is that there is a, there is a memorial or a monument everywhere you look in that town. There's a plaque, or a home, or a street. Even the name of the city um, comes from the Spanish explorer who first landed there in Galveston, in Texas. I learned a few things about Galveston that I didn't know before. I learned a lot of things. A few of them are this. Galveston was the first place in the United States to have a, a post office. I didn't know that. Galveston was the first city in the United States to have oil street lamps. You don't think of Galveston as being the place that they would choose to put that. It was one of, in the early 1900s, late 1800s, one of the financial centers of the country. Several large banks that held a lot of money uh, for the entire nation. And it was 
the primary port into the United States um, for decades back at that time. It was actually the location that a family out of a, 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 a city up north, a mob family, wanted to go and start the first sin city in the United States of America. And they tried, and they went to war with the Texas Rangers, and they lost. So they went to Nevada and combined with a few other families and started another city out there. And that's no joke. I didn't know any of that stuff. But as we were touring around and we're looking at all of these monuments and all of these things, I just thought it just dawned on me how there are all these uh, memorials there. I grew up so close to there, and I knew none of this stuff. And just how empty and unvaluable a monument or a memorial is that doesn't have real meaning, that's not connected to something important, and that's not communicated on. And so in our story today, the story we read may seem like kind of an obscure passage, but this is a passage about legacy. And today, my sermon in a sentence, the way I would put this whole sermon in a nutshell is this, a lasting spiritual legacy comes from the lordship of Christ in your life. Now this is a message that's going to apply to every believer here, but today I'm going to be specifically aiming some things at dads. I appreciate, I really do appreciate the video that we showed because I appreciated the fact that, that in the video he talked about being a dad is not about being perfect. And this message today is not about trying to become sinful or perfect or do everything just right or you know, fit into some spiritual elite class of Christian where, where uh, I'm doing, doing, doing and all of this. I'm really talking about a decision that you make in your life as a follower of Jesus to surrender all. And that is God's plan for every single person. Did you know that? That's God's desire. That's not just for the super elite. It's imperfect. It's God's work. He's the one that accomplishes in, it, uh, it, in us. But we have to make that choice to say, I surrender. We'll see that in this story. The word legacy, just to grasp it, a better way of thinking about this word, to grasp it mentally, the word legacy, it's kind of morphed into a lot of different things, but it really means inheritance. It's a word that's still used legally in wills today, and basically what it's talking about is what is being left by the person who has passed on. And so an heir is going to receive an inheritance, but the, uh, the um, person who has passed on is going to leave a legacy. It's really about uh, giving personal property on to the next uh, person in your will. That's the idea of a legacy. It's passing something on. It says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And you stop and think about all the things that we do in this life so that we can have a good life, enjoy life, and then leave something for those coming behind. What can we pass on to those coming behind? All of the work, all of the um, the principles and values that we instill in our children and in those coming behind us. But Jesus put a little twist on this perspective of our things that we possess and the things that we value in this life in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 where he said in verse 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and, uh, destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there will your heart be also. 
So think of legacy in terms of inheritance, and I want you to think of lordship in terms of this. I'm just trying to keep it very simple for time's sake. We could spend a lot of time on this. But I want you to think of lordship in terms of this, of worship. It's worship. It's surrender. The word worship in the Bible and the original languages literally means to bow, to prostrate, uh, to prostrate oneself before the Lord. To bow before God. To surrender your will to God's will. And so think of lordship in terms of worship. When you think about the legacy you're leaving for the generation coming behind you, when you think about the legacy you're leaving for your children, the goal of being a father is to produce a worshiper. It's to be a part of that process of producing a worshiper of God. And if you can lead your children to be worshipers of God, the other things they need in this life, according to Matthew chapter 6, God will add to them if they'll seek Him and His kingdom first. And so, three ways that we're going to look at from this passage, the Lordship of Christ in your life will leave a lasting spiritual legacy. That's what I'm going to give to you this morning is three ways, and I'm going to have to move quickly. But number one is this, a lasting legacy, a lasting spiritual legacy comes from your story. It comes from your story. If you look back at the text in in Joshua chapter 4 and look at verse 21, look at what it says. This is Joshua speaking to the children of Israel who have crossed the Jordan with him. And he said to the people of Israel, when, if you mark in your Bible, you should mark that word. He doesn't say if your children ask. He says, when your children ask who? Their fathers. When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Your children are asking that question. What do these stones mean? And we'll get to what those stones are in just a second. I'm going to explain to you what they mean. But the point is this. They see a monument that these folks have built, and they're asking, what do these stones mean? Joshua tells the people, your children are going to ask about your experiences with the Lord. They are going to ask about your faith and what they believe. And when they ask the fathers, you need to have an answer. And a big part of your role as a dad, a big part of your role as a follower of Jesus for anyone coming behind you spiritually is to be able to answer that question, what do these stones mean? Why do I believe what I believe? Why do I value what I value? Why do I do what I do for the kingdom of God? That's an important question to answer. And so a lasting spiritual legacy comes from your story. Here's the story of these people. And I'm going to do the the really brief version of it for a particular person, a, a particular reason. I'm going to highlight some specific things. The exodus of the children of Israel. You know they went into Egypt because of a famine, just as a family of 70. Over the course of 400 years, they multiplied to a population of a nation, a million strong or more. So big were they, the Bible says, that Pharaoh and the Egyptians became afraid of them, and so they put them into hard bondage. They made them slaves, made them work hard, tried to prevent them from ever being able to rise up. And so they cried out to God. God sent them a deliverer named Moses. Moses came. He said to Pharaoh, let God's people go. 
Pharaoh said, who is God? Who is the Lord? If you ever read through the book of Exodus, if you read through that sometime in the near future, pay attention to how many times the the words the Lord are used in that book. Because that's the point. God is answering Pharaoh's question. You want to know who I am? I'll show you who I am. And so one by one, Moses is used by God to bring these plagues into Egypt to show Pharaoh who the Lord is. And with each time, Pharaoh hardens his heart a little more. And then the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn of any family in Egypt who, was not, had their, who did not have their home covered by the blood of a spotless lamb. That was the first Passover. And that Passover feast uh, was to be a perpetual celebration that Israel would celebrate for years and years to come. But it began as uh, uh, connected to that last plague, the death of the firstborn. The Bible says there was not a single home in all of Egypt that was not touched by that plague, other than the homes where those families took a lamb, a yearling lamb, spotless, brought it into their home for four days. Their children saw that lamb. They lived with that lamb. And then they shed its blood. And they applied the blood to the door of their home. And they were as a family to consume, to eat, uh, to cook and consume that lamb in one night. If they were not able to do that, they were to invite other families together to do that. And, and that last plague, the death of the firstborn, was the straw that broke the camel's back. Pharaoh finally said, go, leave, get out of here. And he sent the, Israels out, uh, the Israelites out in haste. So they left after, after that last plague, and God led them to the Red Sea. God led them intentionally to the Red Sea. And they go to the Red Sea and they're camping there. And the Bible says that Pharaoh kind of came, uh, came to himself and said, what did I do letting them go? He gathered his army and he took off after them. And so Israel is there. They're, between, they're looking at the Red Sea on one side and they're watching the approaching army of Egypt on the other side coming to basically take them back into slavery or to, to wipe them out. And in that moment they're looking and they've got a choice to make. What are we going to do? And here's what Moses says to him. Moses says to him, fear not, stand firm, and today see the salvation of the Lord. And through Moses, God opened the Red Sea. You know the story. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, and behind them, God closes the Red Sea on the Egyptian army and wipes them out once and for all. The children of Israel then cross the, the wilderness, a trip that really from, from Egypt to the promised land should only take about 11 days according to Deuteronomy chapter 1. It took them about a year because uh, God was showing them how to build the tabernacle. He was giving them the law. They crossed the wilderness and God is proving to them in the wilderness that he is faithful. He's going to provide for them even if it means dropping bread out of the sky for them to eat and bringing water out of a rock. And then they come to the Jordan River And they're looking at the promise. They send 12 spies in to see the promise. They come out, they say it's exactly like God said it would be. But these men are too strong. These cities are too powerful. There's no way we can do it. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, because of unbelief, God said, if you don't want my best for you, I'll give you what you want. You can go back into the wilderness. He shut the door behind them to Egypt with the Red Sea. And so for 40 years, until that generation died off, 
they wandered in circles in the wilderness. And their children came back, grown, to the Jordan River under Joshua's leadership. And God said, are you going to believe? Are you ready to go in? So listen, that's their story. God opened the Jordan just like he did the Red Sea miraculously. And the Israelites crossed on dry land. And they built this monument called Gilgal. And so I want you to hear this. I want you to to know this because this is important. This will change the way that you read your Bible. The Exodus is a picture in the Old Testament. It historically happened. It's a real story. It really happened to these people. But it's also a picture in the Old Testament of the journey of faith of a follower of Jesus. Paul says Christ is our Passover in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7. The Passover represents the cross of Jesus. And then each of us is faced with a decision to fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord by putting our faith in the work of Christ on the cross. If we accept Christ as our Savior, then we have accepted that work that He did on the cross as the payment for our sin. And that's like the crossing of the Red Sea. Our enemy was conquered by the cross, and that was applied to our lives when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, likens the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea, going through the Red Sea with the cloud above them as to a baptism. And then we come to the, the Jordan River. And so this is what I want you to understand, is these are steps for every believer, every person, really. Jesus died for everybody. He was that sacrifice, that Passover, for God's judgment to pass over anyone who would have that blood applied to their life by faith, asking God to forgive them. You make a decision to trust in Jesus as your Savior, but God also wants you, He didn't just save you from something, He's saving you to something, right? From the very first time that Moses went in and talked to Pharaoh, he said this, he said, God said to let His people go so that they can go and worship Him. It wasn't just about what they were coming out of, it's what they were going into. And I want you to understand today that the Jordan River in the Old Testament pictures a point that every believer will be brought to in their life as a believer, where they have to ask themselves the question, am I going to surrender my life to Christ? And we call this all different kinds of things because the Bible refers to it in different ways. The Bible refers to it as walking in the Spirit, or abiding in Christ, or surrendering to Christ. But the idea is this, as a believer, you move past just saying, I got out of Egypt to I want to go into what God's best is for me. I want to follow him wherever he leads me. I know that it's scary. I know the Jordan River is flooded. I know that there is an enemy there that I have to go to a battle against, but I've got to cross the river because that's where God's best is. That's his promise. That's the lordship of Christ. Now, That doesn't have to happen 40 years apart for you. In fact, I hope it doesn't. But those are two barriers that we've got to to cross by faith, trusting God. The Red Sea, receiving Christ as our Savior, confessing Him as Lord, and then the Jordan River, where we surrender our lives to Him as Lord. And there's a difference there. We're told to confess Him as Lord for salvation, but we have to surrender our lives. Now, this is a lifelong process. This takes, this takes your entire life. You're always learning to surrender, but there is a beginning point where you decide, 
This isn't just about, I don't want to go to hell. This is about, I really do want to follow Jesus. I really do want to give my life over to Christ. And so Gilgal is another place. That's, that's the Jordan River. That's kind of the story of the Jordan. Gilgal, I've always thought was a city until I started doing some study on this a few months ago. Gilgal is actually a reference to a monument. And God told the Israelites to build Gilgal. What he told them to do is, while the priests were standing in the Jordan River, and it was dry so they could cross over, it was during flood season, and uh, so sometimes I've seen pictures that are more modern of the Jordan River during flood season. Sometimes it's a mile wide during flood season. The priests, by faith, walked down into this flooded river holding the Ark of the Covenant, holding a metal box, And God, as they walk into the river, opens the river for them, stops the flow of the Jordan River so that they can cross on dry land. And as the priests are standing there, trusting God to hold that water back, God says, I want one person from each tribe of Israel to go back into the Jordan River, pick up a huge rock, carry it on your shoulder into Canaan, and I want you to set it down and build a monument. And that monument was called Gilgal. The word Gilgal means circle or wheel. That's the shape of this monument that they made is a round circle. Here's a cool thing for a little extra study if you're interested. They have discovered many Gilgals all over Palestine, all over the place, all connected to historically significant areas for Israel. This became a pattern for them. They built these monuments as a reminder of the way that God worked in their lives. They built the monument literally out of the river where God did a miraculous thing in their lives. So God's intended purpose for Gilgal was this, is that that monument would look forward to their children when they asked, what do these stones mean? It would be a memorial, he says in chapter 4, verse 7, when they look back at all the things that God had done for them. It looks outward to the nations. It says right here in our passage, this is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord God. And it looks upward in worship so the next generation will be worshipers of the same God that the children of Israel at that time were worshiping and following the Lord. That monument was there to connect to the story of what God had done for Israel. Please don't miss this point. Please don't miss this. We have monuments. And some of them are just words, and some of them are actual buildings. We come every Sunday to a pile of stones, and we gather and we sit here. And for some people, this is a building. And if to me this is just a building because it's a tradition or because of a decision I made a long time ago and this is just what I'm supposed to do, then then what's going to happen when my kids say, why do I need to go there? What do these stones mean? What's the point of this? Why do you have a Bible, Dad? Why don't we ever pray, Dad? What, What do these stones mean? Why is this part of our lives? What's the point? If the monument is not connected to a story of something God has done in your life and is doing in your life, it's just a pile of rocks. And you'll be a generation or two two generations removed and and those generations will begin to say, "I, I don't really care about the pile of rocks. I don't need the pile of rocks. What we want to pass on 
as a spiritual legacy is a living relationship with the Lord. That's number two. A lasting spiritual legacy comes from a living relationship with the Lord. That means that it's dynamic and not static. Pastor Jeremy says this all the time. I love it. He says, we do not work for our salvation, but for the salvation of our neighbors. And your closest neighbor is your children. So we live for God. We live for Christ because that's how we pass on a legacy. It's a life lived for the Lord. The Christian who's not walking with the Lord cannot be satisfied. Uh, The Christian who is walking with the Lord cannot be satisfied just looking back at what God has done. But he is working and serving and living for God now. Listen to this. Inanimate monuments are forsaken and forgotten. If your children are not seeing a model of worshiping Christ in your life seven days a week, then one day a week at church will not leave a lasting spiritual legacy. Please hear me. I'm not saying you've got to be perfect. I'm not saying you've got to do everything right. They just need to see Jesus as part of your life. They need to see a real relationship that's there. Beyond just one day a week. Listen to what Tony Evans says. He says, A kingdom man is a man who visibly demonstrates the comprehensive rule of God underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of life. How is your relationship with Christ on a daily basis? Do Do your children see that in your life daily? Do they see a relationship? Do they see you talking to God? Do they see you relying on God? Do they see you listening to God? Do they see you serving other people in the name of Jesus Christ? Do they see this as a part of your real life every day? Or is it just church the tradition? Is it just Christianity the thing we do on Easter and Christmas and and maybe a few other Sundays out of the year? You won't leave a lasting spiritual legacy that way. Here's the last thing. You leave a lasting spiritual legacy through the act of surrender. That's really what this means. Listen to what Watchman Nee says. A day must come in our lives as definite as the day of our conversion when we give up all our right to ourselves and submit to the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. Just as definite as that day that you trusted in Jesus and crossed that barrier, there's a day where you say, God, today, I'm I'm giving it to you. Now, I'm not going to do that perfectly that day or any other day following, but today I'm beginning to just put my life on the altar, put my yes on the table. Surrender all like we, like we sing. <clears throat> Jesus said that no man can have two masters, again in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Not every person who leaves Egypt enters Canaan. Not every person who comes out of their sin experiences God's promise, God's best. Now that doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. What I mean is in this life, not every person that comes out of Egypt experiences Canaan. The Bible talks about those that were constantly looking back at Egypt. It talks about those who grumbled and griped. It talks about those who built idols like the golden calf. It talks about those who came to the edge of the Jordan River and said, no, we don't want it. It talks about those who came to the edge of the Jordan River and said, we'll help you go in, but we would rather stay out here. And there are lots and lots of believers who have decided, man, I want the salvation that Christ gives me. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be forgiven, but I don't necessarily want to give it all to God either. 
And so I'm happy right here. And what you need to understand is that in the Bible is the wilderness. God will still love you. He'll still take care of you in the wilderness. He'll still be right there in the midst of you. But man, it's not like the promised land. It isn't the same as what his promise is. It's not God's best. So I'm going to move to the, to the conclusion here. I have some additional practical things, but I want to I just move to, to the conclusion here because we're out of time. I want to read a passage to you, and really this is my challenge to you today. To respond to the message, to, to surrender to Christ, to make him Lord of your life. Listen, here's, here's what that looks like. It's about moving from words to actions. That's about not just having good intentions with your faith, but it's about taking a step. And for you dads here, you men here, we have life groups that we've started that you can connect to. We have Celebrate Recovery, which is a great place for you to go and grow in the areas you need to grow. We have life-on-life discipleship where we can connect you one-on-one. We have small groups where you can get connected uh, into community with your spouse, with your wife. We have all of these options for you to begin to move and say, I'm going to move from just talking about what I want to do in my faith to doing it, to taking a step. It looks like having a relationship with Jesus Christ through God's word and prayer daily. That's all these these things, these ministries I'm talking about are going to encourage you to do, is to spend time drawing close to God. He's the one that makes the difference. He's the one that gives you the ability to surrender. Learning to be truly dependent on God daily. And then the last one is humbly obeying and applying what God teaches to you. There had to be an obedient step to take that step into the Jordan and to cross the Jordan. And that's what God is calling us all to. So receive your legacy today. A legacy is something that is passed on generationally. That's what it's meant to be. If you didn't have a dad in your life, if you didn't have a believer in your life that came alongside you and walked with you and showed you how to follow Jesus showed you how to live this life, showed you a a Gilgal in your life where you could look at that and say, what do these things mean so that they could teach you? If you didn't have that, then look to God. This generation didn't have that. Their parents abandoned the mission. Look to God. The Bible says that you're an heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you have all spiritual blessings in Ephesians chapter 1 through Christ. The Bible says that you were chosen and adopted as a son and as a daughter of Christ. You have a Gilgal if you have Christ in your life. You do have someone to look to. You have the Lord. Take your next step spiritually. Surrendering to Christ as Lord is a process, and spiritual growth is necessary for that process to continue. Take your next step, whatever it is, spiritually. Find a mentor. Find somebody who's in the second half of their life. If you're a dad, find somebody who's raised children and left a godly legacy and ask them to be a mentor to you. Ask them to hold you accountable. If you're in the second half of your life and you've raised your children and left a spiritual legacy for them, then be a mentor for somebody. You're missing the the primary purpose of the second half of life if you're not involved in mentoring those that are coming behind you. 
Find community, spiritual community. Surrendering to lordship of Christ is an individual decision, but it's a process that requires a community. And then here's the last thing, and we'll conclude. Start today. Commit today to trust and obey what you already know. Don't overwhelm yourself. Start small. Pray for God to show you. Pray today for God to show you an area that is not yielded to him. We all have them. We all have many of them. And then one by one in those uh, areas of your life, begin to commit them to Christ. Surrender them to the Lord. Ask for God's help. Seek the scriptures on it. Confess it to him. Yield to him. You get to the end of the book of Joshua, and here's what Joshua said to the people of Israel. We're going to close with this. Here's what he said. Choose today who you're going to serve. We came out of Egypt. God delivered us. Now who are you going to serve? As for me and my house, he said, we're going to serve the Lord. Are you going to serve the Lord? Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.